Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. You know, I have an admission to make, which is when I first started college back in 67, 8, whatever it was, um, I wanted to be a journalist. So I, you know, there I was in Philadelphia at Temple University. I decided I'm going to enroll in uh, as a major in journalism. That that lasted for uh, two semesters. And then I wasn't sure that I really wanted to do that, even though I, I thought it would be a cool thing to do. Um, so I'm always uh, very interested in how journalism happens, as is Bill Newman, who is a columnist for the Daily Hampshire Gazette. And we have in our orbit here, uh, we get to see her not often enough, but periodically, Sarah Robertson. She is a, uh, well, she's, she graduated from UMass. She's a local journalist. She worked for the Daily Hampshire Gazette. She worked for the Athol Daily News. She also uh, did marketing stuff for uh, really good causes like the Con- Set- Connecticut River Conservancy. And now she uh, writes for a number of different outlets. She does a little bit of radio, and she also does a lot of print journalism, and she's here with me in studio. Hello, Sarah Robertson. Hello, Buzz. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm really glad to, to have the opportunity to talk to you uh, on the air because you have an interesting gig. And so as a journalist, here's my first question, which is really a, a big one. How do you choose what stories to chase? What values do you look for in a story that you think readers might be interested in or should be interested in, how do you make those decisions? Well, the best part of being a journalist is you can just kind of look into whatever you find interesting. Like, I gravitate towards environmental stories. So if I hear that there's water pollution somewhere, I'm like, okay, what? how did that get there? Um, so you get to, I, I like to just follow my curiosity, and I have that kind of freedom because I'm a freelancer for the most part. And I'm just anything that, Seems interesting. <laughs> to so do you get it off like uh, you'll see another story that's written somewhere and you decide to do a deep dive into that subject? or um, um, Sometimes you'll localize a national story. Um, th- I did that kind of a lot for the Daily Hampshire Gazette, especially around um, like <laughs> interviewing Trump voters about how they feel. Um, but... Right. I spoke, I spoke earlier about the 14th Amendment, Section 3, and whether or not uh, Trump should be disqualified. That's going on in Colorado. It's going on in eight states, I believe, is that question has either been resolved or is percolating to be resolved. And so I brought it to Massachusetts um, um, because, well, actually, there was a ruling <laughs> that made it newsworthy. But I, know but I like localizing mean. things even more so, like... Leverett and Wendell's police departments joined together and now they don't have a dog officer because their one part-time officer quit. I, I liked looking at the ways that like small communities really grapple with like very particular things and then um, it really lets you, I know, focus on the human element of stories too. And that's probably my favorite part about local news that well. you can be like, okay, how, <laughs> like what, what ha- what is the interpersonal drama on this select board that led to them not having a quorum that led to them not being able to pass this bylaw on time or sometimes i mean small small towns are really like rife with open meeting law violations too um and it's really just like it's difficult to follow the rules and you can report on those for kind of them things. but <laughs> for you that means that you have to broaden your knowledge of the rules yeah. you have to broaden your knowledge of that environmental issue that that's before it so there's a this constant, um, 
refreshing your knowledge base process, right? Yeah. Is that yeah, something you're you always like? learning? Yeah, you're always learning as a journalist, and it's it's super cool. <laughs> All right. So, well, let me peel back the curtains. I'm squeezing the curtains open. What are you working on now? What am I working on now? Uh, the, I've had this long-running project. I've been reporting on PFAS contamination in PFAS, Western Mass a lot. PFAS. PFAS, per in polyfluoroalkyl chemicals. It's in your Teflon pans. It's what we call the forever chemicals. Forever chemicals, and they've been widely used in a lot of manufacturing and waterproof clothing, waterproof makeup, uh, the things that make it so the grease doesn't soak through your paper plates. It's... It's a toxic chemical that we're only just learning in the last few years. Well, that's not true. Um, we've known it's been toxic for a while, and the companies that make it have known it's been toxic for a while. But during that time, it's gotten into our environment in a lot of very pernicious ways. Well, we actually yeah. covered this last week. There is a class action suit nationally, um, and we talked to the attorney who is heading that. There's over 6,000 sets of claims that are consolidated into what we call a multi-district litigation. That means that... Um, these litigations are happening in many different judicial districts, right? And what I learned then is the extent to which these chemicals permeate water supplies. Is that what you're finding? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's widely known that um, the community of Westfield has some serious um, PFAS contamination in their public water supply, and that is directly linked to the Barnes Air National Guard base. Um, so the federal government is currently paying for a study to investigate the extent of that contamination. And, um, well, what's, uh, what happens to one when they ingest too many PFASs? Well, scientists are still beginning to understand that. There's, there's been a lot of research into it, but it can make someone immunocompromised. It causes a lot of different kinds of cancer. It can cause reproductive harm. Um, there was actually um, one of the like, lead activists in the Westfield area, um, Kristen Mello. Um, she uh, is not only someone who's organized her community around this issue to get more investigation into how bad the contamination is, the extent of it, she's also a victim of this. Um, she is an immunocompromised person. She's had, like, chronic pneumonia. Um, and so there are probably health impacts that people are suffering with from PFAS contamination that they can't even clearly link to it because they're kind of so varied, and uh, it's different for every person. I, it would be important and useful and uh, critical to focus on PFAS, but I really want to go back to uh, sort of wind the, rewind the tape because I'm a frustrated journalist. <laughs> so I want to ask you, so here's a situation which there's a whole lot of policy involved in that story. There's a whole lot of science involved in that story. There's a whole lot of medicine involved in that story. It's local, it's manufacturing, it's commerce, it's what we all brush our teeth with, right, kind of thing. So as a journalist, when you look at, okay, I want to cover this, this contamination of our water supply and our environment by this thing, who are the first calls you make? <laughs> uh, well, we're wildly lucky in our area because we have UMass Amherst as a resource, and they kind of even partnered with the state to do this um, free well water testing program. So there's some of the smartest people doing research on PFAS. A phone call away and right down the road, <laughs> um, right at UMass. So I've talked to Dave Reckow. He, he led that program for a while. Um, How did you find out about that program? I found out about that program. I 
me, I mean, they've had press conferences. I mean, Jim McGovern, actually, and Joe Comerford, they did a press conference outside of the, the wet lab is what it's called, the something water technology lab. Anyways, um, it's it's been publicized. I remember reaching out to Dave Rakow when I heard his name as part of Mass DEP's, the Mass Department of Environmental Protection's um, well water testing program. And so I was like, oh, this sounds like a good expert. And he's amazing. He's very, very well read and smart when it comes to this issue. But um, yeah, also I, I bug the Mass DEP people quite a bit too. They know me. <laughs> As a researcher, you have to find all these sources. You have to pare down your sources and decide what is going to make a readable story. And then you have to write it. You also have to know how to grab someone's attention and hold it when you're talking about something as complicated or some would argue potentially boring as a story that's, that's sort of resting on science and medicine and policy it's not sexy it's horrific and some you have to retain our attention how do you how do you craft a story to make sure that we don't lose interest well it helps to be in just like a constant state of rage about the state of the world so i'd lead with what makes me want to cover a story which could be there were elementary school kids drinking contaminated water in wendell and new salem for who knows how long um, so you just lead with what makes me mad or what makes me interested in the story, and you kind of go from there. <laughs> well, you just infected me with your passion. <laughs> you made me mad, Sarah Robertson. <laughs> Although it's not always something that makes you mad, too. It's just something that makes... Th th it's interesting. It's the, the pyramid structure. You lead with the most interesting thing and then build with the facts. Whoa. We're going to have to explore the pyramid stuff. We're going to do that right <laughs> after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. The co-op kitchen is always cooking. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Order sandwich platters or anything platters for lunchtime, party time, or anytime. You like to bake? The co-op has all your baking essentials like ground up flour and grains, stone milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven, bread and brownies, cakes and cookies. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Every time you open your energy bill, you cringe. And with good reason, because you're paying too much. The easy answer is solar. And taking advantage of solar energy with Franklin First Federal Credit Union is easy. Our solar loan puts solar on the table. And a local expert can show you all the ways it pays to install solar. Visit franklinfirst.org slash solarloans for more details. That's franklinfirst.org slash solarloans. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. With tens of thousands of satisfied patients across America, it's no surprise QC Kinetics gets five-star reviews. I'm feeling on top of the world because of QC Kinetics. I'm able to do the things that I wasn't able to do for a long time. I can recommend them highly. I would recommend QC to anybody. QC Kinetics has changed my life. I couldn't believe it. I honestly was skeptical, but the pain went from a 10 to a zero. Real people with real lasting relief from joint pain. QC Kinetics Regenerative Medicine is regenerating me. I'm super successful and I recommend 
everyone seek out QC Kinetics as an alternative to surgery. This non-surgical approach is definitely the future. I tell as many people as possible. I am an ambassador. I love QC Kinetics. QC Kinetics, the nation's leader in advanced regenerative medicine. No drugs, no surgery. Call QC Kinetics now for your free consultation. Call QC Kinetics, 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And welcome back to Talk the Talk. We are talking to freelance uh, local journalists. Um, Sarah Robertson. Sarah, I wanted to ask you, there's a term that I've never, never really been able to wrap my arms completely around, which is community journalism. What is community journalism? It's journalism that happens on a local level, and hopefully a lot of different people participate in. I mean, we have a community journalist who works in the studio, uh, Bill Newman. He's always a, he's writing columns for the Daily Hampshire Gazette. And I, to me, though, community journalism like implies this, like, of participatory nature to your local newspaper. And, um, yeah, hopefully a lot of people participate in it. What do you mean participatory journalism? I mean, <coughs> they're professional right. journalists, right? There are a lot of people who write an op-ed here and there. Um, but you're, and I know you've, you, you revere the notion of, you promote the notion of the importance in our lives of community journalism is that juxtaposed to a national interest in politics, uh, political reportage, or statewide? Is 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 it juxtaposed to that? Um, I, it's different. Yeah, <laughs> um, I I feel like community journalism is maybe some, it's just something more accessible. Like I, in, in a perfect world, anyone can write a news article. Um, I think um, the two publications that I write for the most, the Shoestring and the Monitor Reporter, do this really well. They have people who are not trained journalists go to them. And it, however long it takes, they work with people um, to do their own reporting, and then they fact check, and they get people who aren't journalists published. And these people come to them who want to do stories um, about issues that they care about. And I think that is something that is kind of the essence of community journalism. Um, it's also exhibited in things like letters to the editor or event listings or um, just just something there's something that this is more community focused. We <laughs> certainly do that on Talk to Talk. Event yes. listings is an important part of Which what is we why do. I would call you a journalist too, Buzz. Don't sell yourself short. Uh oh. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. Um, but I, I think uh, we are lucky. You said it earlier in, in uh, mentioning UMass and the level of expertise we have available to us in this region. But we also have an incredibly uh, activist population throughout uh, certainly this listening region, but in, in Hampshire, Franklin County, and Hampton County, we have uh, all sorts of um, organizations and activists that are interested in making our world better and our communities better. So there will be an event that is going to be going on, a demonstration uh, yesterday with the 50th anniversary, Roe versus Wade, and uh, we saw activism around that or um, whatever the political issue is. We're also so relatively lucky to have such a robust local news ecosystem here. 
I think. Like, not many places even have a legacy newspaper that covers their city that is still headquartered in their city of, of this size. Northampton's a small city, and we have the Daily Hampshire Gazette. We have the Reminder publications that still cover here. We have the Shoestring, which covers the alternative angle. And then there's the Springfield Republican, which is doing great work, like, regionally, too. Just we're, we're very lucky to have the newspapers we do. So, when I mean, when I say, like, community journalism, it's um, just what we call journalism here in the Valley. <laughs> uh, we have this, as co-hosts of Talk to Talk, we have this issue, which is when, when we're covering an issue, are we trying to educate people who already are interested in that issue? Or are we trying to tell people you should be interested in this issue? As a journalist, are you trying to tell people you should be aware of and interested in this particular issue, let's take, for example, PFAS, um, or are you saying to those people who are already environmentally concerned, hey, let me give you some facts and figures about PFAS? All of the above. Ev everyone and everyone. <laughs> um, you you want to, like, obviously write a story saying, like, this is the thing that happened. This organization is doing a study into contamination. Like, okay, well, what is this contamination? And you give the background, and then you want to explain that in the context of the issue. So you need to write for everyone, which is tricky. Um, they, they say you need to write news at like an eighth grade reading level. So it needs to be accessible, but it also needs to be smart. And you also your framing also needs to be, um, I don't know, with, with your audience in mind. Like we, around here, we write for academics and we write for high school students. You have to strike a balance between the two of them. <laughs> Right, but as a journalist, I would think you don't want to be sanctimonious. That is, I know something that you should be more interested in than you are, because that doesn't sell either. No. Yeah, yeah you don't want to write like that. Um. But at the same time, there's, you know, I, I was looking this morning, I was looking at the Hill. Actually, I was looking at Reuters, and I saw uh, a really interesting article that the United States Appeals Court um, here in the First Circuit, has revived a $10 billion lawsuit by Mexico against American gun manufacturers. And I thought, people should really be paying attention to this because um, even though we have a law that shields gun manufacturers, and Bernie Sanders famously uh, voted for that law, which Hillary Clinton pointed out many times when they were running for the presidential nomination. But um, we have a law that says that manufacturers can't be held liable for all the campus rampage shootings and things like that. They can't be sued. Mexico, however, says they're unlawfully uh, participating in over a half million assault weapons a year go into Mexico, which is being used by drug cartels. And the U.S. manufacturers are not following the law in allowing them to continue to bleed arms into Mexico. That story I think people should know about. So it's sort of like, a, hmm, I don't know if people are interested. Should I be doing that on the air? I just did, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> so do you have that kind of thing often? Like, hmm, I'm interested in this. Well, should other people be interested in this? Um, Sure. And I I mean, I think papers like the Daily Hampshire Gazette do this well. Well, they'll run AP stories that they find to be interesting. They don't run every single one. There's an editor behind the scenes telling or deciding which stories are relevant to the people of Northampton. Um. But yeah, there's there's a definitely an agenda setting that uh, journalists and editors get to do. It's like the power of framing something 
really matters. I mean, that's half of it. Like what we choose to cover and what we choose to not cover is, you know, a big piece of the pie. Yeah. Well, I know for, I, for one, am really grateful for the work that you do, Sarah Robertson, as a, as a freelance journalist, um, a, as an investigator. As and as a, a producer right here, too. What's that? <laughs> and as a producer for this show, too. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. And as a producer for this show, right at this moment, yeah. um, Sarah is, uh, is working the boards, engineering uh, this. I have no idea how to do it. <laughs> um, because unfortunately, our producer has uh, well, he's got the flu like a lot of other people in this region. Um, but uh, so I'm I'm so grateful. I'm always grateful to be in the studio with you. I'm grateful for the good work that you do in informing me and so many others. Last question is, um, other than PFAS, you have anything else brewing right now that you're working on? Um, I've been trying to write another take on the governor's budget cuts. Because I did a story a couple weeks back about um, her tax cuts and how she was saying it's going to make the state more affordable. And I'm sure it's going to be a lot more affordable for the heirs of multi-million dollar estates and the day traders who yeah. got most of those tax cuts. But thankfully, the child tax credit is going to put extra $400 a year in parents' pockets. That'll sure make the state more affordable. So. Right. Maybe right. this will be an opinion piece and not so much a reporting piece. Well, <laughs> she claims that she wants, she's doing it in order to attract keep businesses here in Massachusetts, she says, but it seems to us that she's cutting breaks uh, for the people that don't actually need them. Sarah Robertson, thank you so much for joining us today, both on the board and on the microphone. It's always a pleasure to be in the studio with you, and thank you for joining us on Talk the Talk. Thanks, Buzz. Glad to be here. <laughs>